Well, hello, children. I hope this recording finds you well. It is Sunday, and we are looking to get back in the swing of things the best we can tomorrow with the launch of our online initiative. I really don't know what that's going to look like. I really don't know if any of my colleagues have a great idea what that's going to look like, but we are in uncharted waters and we're going to do the best we can. I hope this message finds you well, and I hope to see you again for the real deal sooner than later. I attempted with one of my other classes to do a little instruction as we do uh, using Google Hangouts, and I've been subjected to many Zoom meetings with uh, the family and extended family, and as you know, that is a difficult environment to make things work. So I thought something that might be a little more successful could be delivering things in the form of a podcast, for lack of a better term. Uh, I had no idea how much when I was trying to teach over the, over the Google Hangouts and the Zoom, how much I rely on you for questions and answers, for call and response, and even just looking at your faces. Uh, to see if you got a point, to see if you're interested, to see if you think the jokes are funny or whatever it is. It is really difficult to just sort of speak into the ether and get any sort of realistic representation of what it, I, I think that sort of teaching should be like. But that being said, we're going to do our best, and uh, I'm going to try a short little segment here, and uh, it could only get better if we have a rocky start. So if you care to listen, you're more than welcome to. And if not, then, uh, well, COVID just took care of you. You won't have to hear any more Western Civ uh, for quite some time. But if you're still listening, thank you. And here we go. I've said before in class many times, and it speaks to a particular passion of mine, I love to eat. And I've told you before, and I will say it again, that bears repeating. You live, we live in the golden age of food and drink. There has never been a better time to enjoy different kinds of food, different varieties of food and drink, because we are so interconnected by a global system that you, as an American, even an American in the middle or even in the lower class, you have access to greater food and drink than any person would have, say, 300 years ago. You're eating better than the Tsar of Russia ate 200 years ago. And that's just something we take for granted. That got me thinking about the impact of Christopher Columbus. And when we left off with, you know, real school before, um, before we had to uh, take some time off, we were talking about Columbus. And the next topic was going to be that Columbian exchange. And one thing about the Columbian exchange that I think is so unique is how many culinary styles were only possible because of it. A couple that jumped to my mind is I, like any self-respecting Italian, love Italian food. And when you think of Italian food, your mind probably goes to so many of the tomato-based substance, whether you're talking about your pasta with tomatoes, or if you're talking about even pizza sauce, or, or a million different varieties. 
uh, tomatoes at the root. Well, before Christopher Columbus, the tomato was unheard of in Europe. The tomato was on the other side of the world. It was a new world crop. And until that Colombian exchange, uh, Italians, there was no tomatoes. That's that's something that just happened in the last 500 years. Another one is the potato. You think of how important the potato became to some European nations. Ireland became so reliant on the potato that a blight on the potato crop actually caused the great Irish potato famine. In fact, many of you who are Irish in ancestry, your distant relatives, they may have come to this country in the 19th century to escape that potato famine, one of many potato famines that struck. The potato was not native to Europe. Once again, that was a new world, an American crop. But when it comes back, it becomes so important that the caloric economy of a place like Ireland, to say nothing of Germany and other places that embrace it, becomes so dependent on it that the failure of a crop is enough to disrupt the entire society and people will lose their lives in great numbers because they're relying on a crop they didn't even know existed pre-Columbian exchange. Seeing stuff that has caught on in the new world coming from the old world Uh, I was thinking of, saw a commercial for, you know, Florida orange juice. And you think of the citrus fusion, Florida and California oranges, lemons, grapefruit, a huge part of that economy. Those citrus fruits are all native to Africa, but they are going to be something that goes from the old world to the new world in exchange. Sometimes there is a marriage of old and new world crops. The one that comes to mind the best for me is chocolate. Now, the cocoa bean is native to the Americas, but if you ever had 100% raw cocoa, you'll know it's very bitter. I love bitter chocolate. I like my chocolates in that 70s and 80% cocoa, and it's real bitter. But if you go up to 100% cocoa, it is almost inedible. Uh, Native Americans used to chew the beans for the caffeine rush, Uh, But it was not something that you were going to be able to eat because it was just so bitter. But this will be combined with an old world crop sugar. And all the chocolate you appreciate is going to be because of that marriage. So all these different sort of fun food combinations. So if you're into Italian food or German potato salad or even just orange juice or any sort of chocolate, you can thank the Colombian Exchange. It didn't just happen with foods. Animals are going to redefine societies. The Sioux Indians, what's called the, the, the Plains Indians of what is now the Midwest of the United States, by the time American expansion found them, they had become legendary for their skills as horsemen. The Comanches, going a little bit further to the southwest of what is now the United States. The Comanches were these legendary riders. They rivaled the Mongols in lore about always being on a horse as these incredible trick riders and could do things that no Western man could do. Their culture completely revolved around the horse. And in in some cases, like with the Sioux, chasing buffalo, hunting buffalo, using the horse. Well, the horse was not native to the Americas. 
the settlers who encountered them for the first time in the 18th and 19th century, they thought this was some sort of ancient culture, that they had lived like that since time immemorial. But it was something so new that only escaped Spanish horses at the beginning of the 16th century had that recently got themselves in the uh, they had, they had become the possessions of, of the Comanche, of the Sioux and the other Native Americans. And they became, they redefined that culture. So by the time the Americans felt, found them, it felt like they'd been there forever. The Columbian Exchange took two worlds that were completely separate and they smashed them together. Before Christopher Columbus, there was essentially two planet Earths. And in food, in animals, in different kinds of people, and as we're going to see as we move forward in different kinds of diseases, there's going to be a dramatic impact that will redefine not just Western Civ, but the entire world. But as this is our first one, we'll keep it short. And let's make that a story for another day. Be well, everybody.